Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. The Lord be with you, friends. My name is Mike, and I'm the pastor of Benediction, and I'm really grateful that you're here. And this is a great morning to be with us, because sometimes we find community in surprising places. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I took my son Jamie to the Beasley Skate Park. If you don't know anything about the Beasley neighborhood, everything that you think and feel is wrong with Hamilton, you can imagine it happening there. We arrived uh, mid-afternoon one day, and the first thing that I see in the Beasley Skate Park is a dealer over here on a park bench with a lineup of, of four or five guys lining up to buy. I'm like, really? And there's a group of thugs over here, and they're listening to some really loud bumping music, smoking up, and again, I'm like, really? The only people using the skate park to, to skateboard in it are a, a, bunch of, a bunch of older dudes, about 30 years old at least. And uh, Jamie stays close to me at first in the Beasley Skate Park. And then after a few minutes, I notice something. Things change a little bit. The dealer moves on, he leaves, and when he's gone, the thugs go over and they start picking up needles. And nobody asked them to do that. It was really interesting. One of the skateboarders, he comes over and he starts using his skateboard like a broom, and he's moving stuff around. He's sweeping up gravel and cigarette butts from the bottom of one of the ramps. And nobody asked him to do that. And the skaters are are cheering for each other. They're cheering each other on, and, and then they start cheering for Jamie. One of them comes up to me and points out that one of the trucks on Jamie's skateboard is put on backwards, and he offers to help me to fix it. Another guy, total stranger, total stranger, comes up and he has a word for me, all right? He's got a word for me about Jamie. He says, hey man, your kid, he used some pretty colorful language, so I'll just kind of, I'll sanitize it for our gathering. How about that? Can you, can, can we do that? Okay. Hey man, your kid is very fearless, and uh, he's going to be a, a, an excellent skater someday, but he's got to work on his balance, okay? He's got to work on his balance. He's got to work on his pushing. Is it okay if I show him what I mean? And I was like, dude, wow, thank you. Yes, absolutely. That would be fantastic. I had, been, I had planned that this visit would be about 10 minutes, right? We might be there about 10 minutes at the Beasley Skate Park. We stayed there over an hour the first time. The second time we went back was even longer, and that time Jamie got lessons from a couple other young skaters who were there. They're skateboarding together, tearing it up together, and it was just a really cool surprise, okay, that that we experienced community in just the last place that I expected it. Now, some of you know what this is like because you have you experience community in all kinds of other places. Some of you are professionals and you have community with the other people with whom you share a profession. Some of you are, are part of a community of collectors or homeschoolers or thrifters or Subaru drivers. Some of you are Swifties. Some of you are creatives and sports fan and on and on. And each of these is a community. Each of these is a community. Each of these asks something of you. Like if you skate at Beasley Park, if that's your community, you clean up needles. 
If you skate at the Beasley Skate Park, you keep it tidy and safe, and you watch out for kids, and you encourage one another, and you give each other feedback and help each other pr uh, pr improve. Now, if you don't want to be part of the Beasley Skate Park, if you want to just be able to do whatever you like, that's fine. You can, you can build a, a half pipe in your driveway. But in the Beasley community, this is what's expected of you. You do these things. You, you practice these rhythms. And they expect you to be all in on that. They expect you to be all in. Now, today, we begin a three-week kind of conversation that we're calling all in. We're looking at community and mission and discipleship, and we're asking, as a church, are we all in on this? Are we all in on Jesus' call? Are we all in? Or does God get the leftovers? Does God, does God uh, have his rightful place in our lives? Or is he kind of somewhere in the background and we'll get to him when, when we're not so busy? Well, today our focus is on community. Okay, we're going to make some observations about what the first community looked like. Now, just to set this up by way of context, it's helpful if you understand we're about 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, about 10 days later. Uh, the disciples are all huddled together. They're a little bit afraid. They're waiting and they're praying. And then Pentecost and the heavens burst open and the Holy Spirit descends on them in tongues of fire and they're suddenly able to speak these languages that they'd never learned before. And it's amazing. And some people are just shocked and, and full of awe at this thing. Other people are mocking. And St. Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon, probably his best one ever. And in fact, it's such an important sermon that that St. Luke decided he needed to record the entire thing. And he wrote it down here in Acts chapter 2. And he want, because he wants us to know what a beautiful, fruitful time this was for the church. This was a time where, in verse 47, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And we need to make some observations uh, about this so that we can answer the question, what are the rhythms, what are the commitments of a community that is Christian? Okay? There are all kinds of communities, but what are the rhythms of a community that's Christian? And one of the things I notice immediately, one of the things I, I notice immediately is that there is a flow to this community. That uh, sometimes they're together in the temple, and some, sometimes they're together in each other's homes. Do you see that in the text? There are temple rhythms and home rhythms. Sometimes they are gathered, and sometimes they are scattered. And there's this rhythm, there's this, this kind of swing back and forth between those two rhythms. And as they do, as they practice these temple rhythms and these home rhythms, they make certain commitments to one another. They make certain choices. And there are four of these I want to share. Four of these I want to highlight. The first is worship. They have a commitment to, they have a commitment to worship together. You notice at the beginning of this passage, there's this mass baptism. And that's not, apparently that's not strange to see 3,000 people added to the church today, or in one day. And, and it's like, how could they possibly do that in secret? How could they possibly have such an event uh, and keep it secret? And I don't think they did. I think it must have been public. And so there's this massive public worship celebration less than a couple of months after Jesus is crucified. Think of that. Notice also, verse 42, that they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking bread and to breaking bread and to prayer. So at this point in the gather, at this point in the community of the of the church, they're saying like we've got to 
we've got to remember what Peter said. We've got to remember what John taught. We've got to remember those things that James said because we can't forget it. It's too important. We've got to be devoted to this. They're just as devoted to prayer. Notice also in verse 46, they're breaking bread in each other's homes. Probably that's, that's communion. They're practicing communion, and it seems to be something that's happening actually in the temple and in the home. I think that's kind of interesting. In verse 43, there's miracles happening. Signs and wonders are happening, and everybody is filled with awe. Now, are there other things that these people could be doing with their time? Like, of course there, there are. There are other things they could be doing with their time. They have jobs. They have education to, to tend to. They have housework. But they commit to worship together because that's what a Christian community looks like. They worship together. Another commitment that they share is a commitment to hospitality. Hospitality means that when 3,000 people suddenly want to join you, you don't turn them away. You say, we're going to figure this out. We have no idea what to do, but we're going to figure it out. That's hospitality. I love this thought I came across from a, an American theologian. His name is Erwin Ince. Here's what he said about hospitality. He said, hospitable communities recognize they're incomplete without other people. And they believe others have a treasure to share with their community. Okay, hospitable communities believe others have a treasure to share with their community. So in the early church, what they're doing is they're removing barriers so that all kinds of people can belong. In this community, wealth isn't a barrier anymore because in verse 44, they're together and they share everything, all things they share in common. Wealth isn't a barrier. Class isn't a barrier in this kind of community because in verse 45, they sold their property and the possessions and gave to everyone who had need. So it doesn't matter what class you belong to. We're all on the same ground. So they're going to great lengths in this community to make sure that everyone's welcome and everyone belongs and everyone has a place and that anything in the culture that might be a, a barrier out there is not a barrier in here in this community. That's what hospitality is. That's what hospitality is. Well, another commitment that they share together is a commitment to fellowship. They're making a choice to practice fellowship. Verse, verse 42 says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Like there's apostles teaching, right? There's the apostolic witness recorded in the, like, the Apostles' Creed, and there's fellowship. Isn't that interesting? It's not like an either-or. They're going to practice both. They're committed to both. Now, what's fellowship? What's fellowship? Maybe you think of Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings. We don't use the word fellowship very often. What is fellowship? Fellowship is a partnership. It's involvement in one another's lives. It's a participation in each other's lives. Fellowship is us having a shared life together, okay? Fellowship is what you have when you really commit to knowing someone on a deep level. That's, that's when it's fellowship. Now, I wonder how many of you felt this way though? How many of you, you, you have somebody in your life who every time you talk to them, you have, every time they, they visit, you go away realizing, wow, he talked about himself the entire time. She didn't ask me any questions about my life. This person has no idea what it's actually like to be, to be me. How many of you have people who give you that feeling? You've experienced that? Yeah, for sure. And it may be that there are people who feel that way after talking to you. That may be. And it's not a good, it's not a good feeling. It's like being invisible. It's actually the opposite of fellowship. That's the opposite of fellowship. 
In fact, listen to this. This is a quote from a, a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He literally wrote the book on Christian community. Um, he said, there is a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It is an impatient, inattentive listening that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the person. He says, Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the words of God. Isn't that great? And so a community that is Christian is one where we listen and we know one another because that's what it means to be devoted to fellowship. Well, last one. The early church is also committed to encouragement. They're committed to encouragement. Uh, it may be that this one is easy to miss because it's kind of at the top of the passage, but the whole reason that this community has gathered in the first place is because St. Peter and a few of the apostles had the courage to stand up and say some hard things. Earlier in chapter 2, they're looking, they've got all these onlookers, they've got all these people mocking them, and, and, and Peter, at the end of his, he comes to the end of his sermon and he says, you crucified Jesus. You did that. This was your doing, but that's not where it ended. God raised him up, and now he's Lord and Messiah. And so, all of you, turn from your sin. If you want to be part of this thing, turn from your sin. Put it down. Don't pick it back up again. Turn from your sin. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. Come on. He's offering this invitation. He's being direct, but he's not shaming them. He's being personal, but he's not condemning them. And one of the reasons we know that is because when he's done, in verse 37, Luke, Luke tells us that the people who are listening, they were cut to the heart, and they asked, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Well, Peter doesn't turn them away. They're still here. They're listening, and they want to know, what is the next step? What's the, what do I need to do? So, so just so you know, that's what people do when they've been encouraged and not discouraged. That's the work of truth and grace, and that is essential for us in being the church. Truth and grace is essential to being the church. So those are the commitments. I'm sure there are others, but I think these are worth noticing. You might say that these are like the choices, or they, these might be the cost of being in community together. And again, there are lots of kinds of communities that we can join, but in this one, in Acts 2, in the church, we commit to worship, to hospitality, to fellowship, and encouragement. And when that's happening, the community that we experience together, it's deep and it's thick. And this is why a lot of people who, who have spent time in the community of the church, a lot of folks say that they feel more loved and more seen and more known and more supported by their church community than they do even by some of their extended family. They feel more loved and seen and known by even some of their classmates, even some of their co-workers with whom they spend way, way, way more time during the week. And so every church in history, no matter what language they speak, no matter what, what time we're talking about, no matter what culture, even every church here in Hamilton has its own community rhythms. 
Okay? Each, each church, each community asks something of the people who are part of it. If you had been at St. Clair Community Church this morning, somebody would stand at the front and they'd ask you to join a missional community or a missional family. If you were at Philpott Memorial Church this morning, somebody would stand at the front of the room and they'd be telling you about how important it is to belong to a growth group, a weekly growth group in the Philpott community, because that's what it means to belong there. It seems to me that healthy Christian communities, what we should find is that what they're asking of us, what a healthy Christian community is asking of us, are the same things that first defined the church. In other words, we shouldn't be asking as a church, we shouldn't be asking more of people than the scriptures ask in Acts 2, but we shouldn't be asking less. You with me on that? We shouldn't ask more, but we shouldn't ask less. And so the question here is, what are the commitments or what are the choices uh, or what are the rhythms of this community? What are our rhythms as a community? Well, we have gathered rhythms and scattered rhythms. We have temple rhythms and home rhythms, just like the early church. Uh, and here's what we're asking if you to commit to if you're going to land here and settle here at Benediction Church. First of all, we want to ask you to commit to being here for Word and Table. This is one of our main rhythms. We gather like this every Sunday because we assume that at the end of a week, you're struggling and you're weary and you're burdened and, and that what you need, what we all need, is to be reoriented to the gospel. And that's what this is. We use a liturgy because it's ancient and it's helpful and it gives shape to our worship. It calls us out of the world and out of the culture into worship. We sing and we pray and we praise God. We hear from him in the scriptures. We respond and we we offer ourselves to Jesus at the table, and then we're sent back out into the world uh, with, a, with a commission, with a benediction. And over time, what a liturgy does is it shapes us. Do you realize that? You, we're, we're being shaped and formed and becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and some days you real, you, someday you realize like, wow, I actually know the Lord's prayer off by heart. I never knew that before. How did that happen? Uh, Wow, all of a sudden, my kids, my kids are reading scripture. I realize that now. Wow, I'm, I'm, I find myself humming the doxology. Oh my goodness, I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. This is what I'm made for. So this is one of the things we ask of you. We ask you to commit to being with us for word and table, to come and to worship with us. Another choice we're asking for you to be part of this community is to commit to scattering with a group of people a couple of times a month, in your home, we call these our faith families. Heather, my wife Heather mentioned these uh, earlier. This is your faith family. Your faith family is a small community of people that you are together with and you share meals and you'll laugh together and cry together and you'll share stories. You'll see each other often uh, and you'll do life together, okay? And at the faith family table, everyone has a place. Everyone belongs. And so a faith family is the place where we experience the rhythms of hospitality and of fellowship. And again, if this is your church community, we ask you to commit to being in a faith family. That's just, that's just the ask. That's part of what it means to belong here in benediction. The third thing we're asking of you, third community rhythm we're asking of you is to join a huddle, to be part of a huddle. This is in, an environment in which you're going to meet with the men or the ladies in your faith family outside of the Sunday evening dinner. It's outside of dinner. And the purpose of this gathering is to dig into Scripture, to maybe read a book together, pray for each other, to know each other deeply, to challenge each other and, and encourage one another. And what can happen 
And what has certainly happened in my life in, in huddles is that maybe somebody says, dude, I love you. And like, you are kind of on the right track, but you have this attitude that isn't okay. Like, can I pray for you? Can I show you what I mean? And maybe it kind of catches you off guard at first, but then you realize like, wow, I actually needed that. Like, this is actually good. I need this encouragement. Now, our huddles are going to start in October, and when that happens, we're just asking you to form your huddle with the people, with the men or the women in your faith family, to form it, to stick to it, to be teachable, and to be a truth teller, so that real, com real community, real fellowship, real encouragement can happen. Well, these are some of the community rhythms in, in Benediction Church. You might think of these as like the cost of a community here. Is it for everyone? No, it's not. If it's too personal, if it's too kind of intimate, if it's too like Jesus-y or too churchy, nobody's going to force you to participate in these things. We just need to say, this is all we know how to do. Like we don't know any other way to be a community that is truly Christian. Now, are there other churches out there that might be a better fit for you, that might have a different commitment level? Yes, absolutely there are. And if this, if what I've described here, if this isn't your speed, I totally get that. And without any judgment, if you need help finding or uh, connecting to another community, I'm happy to do that. Please do talk to me. We just need to be really clear, though, that in this community, we're not interested in going to church, okay? In this community, we're interested in and committed to being the church. And here, that means a commitment to worship, to hospitality, to fellowship and encouragement. There's a cost to it. There's a cost to being in community, and that's what it is. That's not strange. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be strange. In fact, I think it's worth it. I mean, of all, of all people, the church should be able to appreciate that community comes at a cost, right? Of all people in the world, we should be able to appreciate that. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is alive today and that he is the head of his body, the church, and he's gathered us, and he's, he's torn down every wall that was between us and formed us into a community. He did that, but it was costly. We believe that he died for this. We believe it cost him his life. We believe that Jesus was the perfect son of God. He belonged here. He was, like, he, he belonged here. He should have been loved and adored and worshipped. He should have been the head of every table. He should have been the life of every party. But he was treated like an outcast. And at the end of his life, the religious leaders were, were hating on him, the elites were mocking him, and he died. They killed him. But after they killed him, Jesus rose, and now he says, look, I've made a place for you. He says to each of us, I've made a place for you, and you belong here among my people in this community with the rest of my friends. Yes, there is a real cost to community, but that's something that I will never pass on to you. It's something you never need to worry about and you never need to experience because I took care of it. So let nothing hold you back. Be all in on community. Worship me, says Jesus. Welcome your brothers and sisters in hospitality. Listen to them and love them in, in fellowship. Encourage them. It's so worth it. When I began, I said that we find community in surprising places. 
I want to share one more example. I was shocked when I came across this and I knew that I had to share it. Through the 1990s, the biggest sitcom was a TV show called Seinfeld. Okay, how many, how many are fans of Seinfeld? All right. It's a show about nothing. The cast is four friends who drive each other crazy. The characters are Jerry, George, Elaine, Kramer, and on the show they hang out all the time, drive each other crazy, and it lasted nine seasons. When the show had ended, they kind of went their separate ways, but they, they stayed in touch somewhat and they stayed friends. Well, it's years later, it's 2006, and the actor Michael Richards, who plays Kramer, the guy on the left here, and so he's at a comedy club and he's doing a stand-up routine. And it's not going very well. And the table right in front of him has some young black folks there and they're mocking him and they're heckling him and telling him that he's not funny. And Michael Richards just lost his mind. And he went off on this ugly, vicious, racist tirade and it was recorded on video. And that video went viral. How many of you have seen this? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, almost none of us. So that part you don't need to see. After that happened, after Michael Richards went on this racist tirade, he just apologized profusely. And within a year, he retired from acting and comedy altogether. He totally withdrew from the public eye. He was so embarrassed and broken and ashamed. Years and years later, seven years later, and Jerry Seinfeld, his career is going great. He has a show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And he does an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. He does an episode with Michael Richards. And them together across the table from one another, it's like a reunion of brothers. And I have a clip of that that I want to show because it's an example of the kind of community that you, you, know, you sometimes find in a place that you don't expect it. Listen for his shame, listen for his brokenness, and then listen for how Jerry responds to it. Because sometimes I look back at the show and I think I should have enjoyed myself more. Michael, I could say that myself, but that was not our job. Our job is not for us to enjoy it. Our job is to make sure they enjoy it. And that's what we did. Uh, you that's know, what that's we did. That's beautiful. That's beautiful because I think I worked selfishly and not selflessly. Yes. It's not about me, no. it's about them. Yes. I, now, that's a lesson I learned seven years ago mm -hmm. when I blew it in the comedy club and right. lost my temper because somebody interrupted my act and said some things that hurt me and right. I lashed out in anger. Right. I should have been working selflessly that evening. Uh -huh. Most of the time, when I'm in that zone, I am selfless. Right. You told me that you had done a couple sets. No, I never... Do you want to? Sometimes I said, well, I must, I should, and normally I would have gone in and, and, and played around with this uh, material. But no, no, I, 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 uh, 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 I busted up after that event seven years ago. It, it broke me down. It was a selfish uh, response. I wow. took it too personally, and I should have uh, just said, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm not funny. Right. I think I'll go home and work on my material, and I'll see you tomorrow night. Blah, 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 and yeah. split something, anything. But, you know, it's just one of those nights. And thanks for sticking by me. You know, no, there really. There's no you, issue with that. Well, I mean, it meant a lot to me. That's nice. You know. But inside, it still, it, it still kicks me around a bit. Okay, well that's, you know, that's, a and that's I, up to you. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a big... That's up uh, to you to, to say, to, you know what, I've been carrying this bag yeah, enough. Yeah. I'm going to put it down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
Well, I hope that you do consider using your instrument again oh, because thanks, it's Jerry. the most beautiful instrument I've ever seen. Ah, oh, Jerry. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. So, did you catch what Jerry said to his friend Michael Richards? He said, it's up to you to say I've been carrying this bag around long enough. I'm going to put it down. Did you hear him say that? When I saw that a while back, I knew I had to share it. Uh, now, not for a second would I want to minimize the awful things that Michael Richards said in the club that night. What I'm trying to show, though, is this beautiful moment of truth and grace, because that's community, okay? Jerry Seinfeld, he's willing to risk that Michael Richards is going to be offended. He's willing to risk that maybe he's going to storm out, but he says it anyway, because, because his friend needed encouragement. He needed fellowship. Now, what's sad is that Michael Richards sat in this shame and brokenness for seven years before he heard it. It took him seven years and a camera crew and, and, you know, people holding a boom mic and all kinds of lights and everything like that and a TV show for them to sit down and have this conversation. Seven years. It's a beautiful moment, but it's way overdue. And in the church, God forbid, we don't wait. In the church, we don't wait. In the church, that's got to be normal. It's got to be normal. I need you to call me on my stuff. And you need that from me and the rest of us. That can't be unusual. That can't be rare. That can't be a once every seven years thing. That's got to be Tuesday. That's got to be Thursday over coffee, okay? That's got to be your huddle. That's got to be dinner together with your faith family. That's what God wants of us. That's what God wants of us. Because he says, this is Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, as he who promised is faithful, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but listen to this, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.